Today is January 3rd, 2022. That's right, we are in a new year here on New Mexico in Focus. This is the podcast, and I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive director or executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. New year, I can't even remember my own title. We hope you all had a restful and enjoyable holiday uh, period and are ready to meet the new year with new enthusiasm. I know I am, and we've got a lot of great content for you here on this podcast. going to start by taking a dip back into last year on our show just a couple of days ago, but it was last year. And uh, as part of our retrospective on the year that was, if you haven't already, go listen to our top 10 countdown of the year with the Line Opinion Panel, all working journalists from across the state for that retrospective. But we also caught up with some sources from our environmental series, Our Land, that we have featured in stories over the last five years to get their thoughts on the environment and setting goals for the new year. It is that time of year for resolutions. And so some great thoughts about what we can all do to protect the environment and why it is so important. We thank Laura Paskus, our Arland correspondent, for setting these video essays up. And we encourage you to go to the website and give them a watch as well. Uh, We have three coming up for you here. The first is Matthew Herto, biology professor at UNM. Then we have author Valerie Rangel. And we have a UNM Sustainability Studies student, Sophia Jenkins-Nieto. We thank them for taking the time to put pen to paper, come in. It's not a comfortable thing to try to read off a teleprompter. They all did a great job, and it's important messages, so we appreciate them very much. But here is what we're calling our series on the environment. These are short essays about the environment, uh, again, as part of our land. I'm Matthew Herto, a professor in the biology department at the University of New Mexico. As an ecologist, I could share with you a variety of facts about how climate change has caused the fire season length to double over the past 40 years in the Southwest, or that the area burned by tree-killing wildfires increased dramatically because we have been excluding fire from our landscapes. But I don't think that does a good job capturing how I feel about the challenges we face in the Southwest. Instead, I want to talk to you about the past two fire seasons, which have been especially tough for me and my colleagues. Last year, a landscape that I've worked in for 19 years burned in the Creek Fire in California. When I drove into what was a forest of large, beautiful trees this summer on my way to collect data, I felt like a failure. And I felt a great sense of loss. The loss comes from the fact that I love hanging out in old growth forest and I love big trees. Those are two things the Creek Fire landscape won't have again over my lifetime, if at all. The sense of failure comes from the fact that we in the forest and fire science research community know how to prevent this from happening. We have decades of research that demonstrate the importance of the right kind of fire in these ecosystems. Here in New Mexico, we've been pretty lucky the past couple of years, but that luck won't last. As the temperature continues to climb, the atmosphere acts like a giant sponge sucking moisture out of our forests. And as anyone who has ever built a campfire knows, dry wood burns far easier than wet wood. Climate change is compounding the fact that by excluding fire from our forests for over 100 years, there's way more fuel to burn than there should be. While we in New Mexico need to do our part to slow how quickly the climate is changing, 
Climate change is a larger problem than we can solve locally. What we can change locally is the effect that climate change and wildfire have on our forests. We can restore the right kind of fire. There are people who will tell you that we can continue to put out fires, and those that will tell you that big, hot fires will correct the problems we have created. Neither are correct. No matter how much money we spend, we are never going to stop all wildfires, especially the ones that burn under extreme conditions. But fire is both the threat and the answer. Prescribed burning and managing lightning-caused fires are the two primary tools we have for changing the risks we face from large, fast-moving wildfires. By bringing back the right kind of fire, we reduce the amount of fuel in the forest, and just like in a campfire, less fuel means less extreme wildfires. As New Mexicans, we can support land managers in their efforts to restore the fire our forests need by being tolerant of smoke from prescribed burns and by telling our elected officials that we need to fund fire management and not just fire suppression. The research on the importance of fire in our forests is clear. It is up to us to act. I'm Valerie Rangel, author of the 2019 book Environmental Justice in New Mexico Counting Coup. As we approach our second year within the pandemic, we cannot forget about the environmental and public health inequalities, systemic issues of inequality that existed long before this pandemic, systemic issues of equality that have gotten worse through the pandemic, issues that we must all work to change. The greatest public health crisis that was exacerbated during the pandemic was the lack of water infrastructure in rural communities. Recently, the Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez reported that 40% of residents living within the Navajo Nation do not have running water or sanitation. Many also lack electricity. Places like the Hickory Apache Nation have infrastructure, but the pipes contain lead, which contaminate the water and pose a severe health risk to infants, pregnant women, and the elderly. During the lockdown period of the pandemic, Residents couldn't travel to border towns to haul back drinking water. The tribe was also denied FEMA assistance by the federal government. That's because their water issues predate COVID-19. So their problems weren't considered an emergency. In the community of Tohajile, less than an hour's drive from the state's largest city, wells run dry most of the year. And people who live there need water pumped from another source. All of these crises overlap with COVID. McKinley and San Juan counties recorded the highest number of COVID cases and deaths in the state. And at the same time, there are many rural towns in these counties that lack running water. They're also within a food desert with few healthcare facilities. These crises also overlap with environmental contamination. McKinley and San Juan counties are also dealing with the 60-year legacy of uranium contamination in western New Mexico, which has made many wells toxic. For decades, the Navajo Nation and its people have suffered disproportionately. Many Navajo uranium workers and their families have become ill, and many have died from diseases associated both with the uranium work itself and with living near uranium mines, mills, and waste dumps and the largest uranium waste tailing spill occurred on July 16, 1979, near a Navajo community of Church Rock. 
A recent University of New Mexico study found that over one quarter of over 700 Navajo Nation women tested had high concentrations of uranium in their bodies. Others, like the Oglala Sioux Tribe of South Dakota, the Ute Mountain Ute Community of the White Mesa in southeastern Utah, and the Havasupak Tribe in the Grand Canyon also face threats posed by present-day uranium operations. In the coming year, I hope residents of New Mexico work to make sure the legislature passes a green amendment that would require the state to safeguard people's health and natural resources in future policies and projects across the state and includes access to water as a basic human right. I'd like the state and tribal leaders to create a comprehensive plan to address uranium contamination instead of piecemeal inadequate cleanup and stop accepting the most hazardous waste from toxic industries. This is a moment in time that we can build back better together. UNM community members trying to push UNM to use their power as a Research One institution and the flagship university of our state to act on climate change. We believe UNM can use its power by investing in environmentally aware education and research, becoming a carbon and waste-free campus, and encouraging the UNM Foundation to divest their endowment from fossil fuels and reinvest in renewable energy. I've been aware of climate change my entire life, ever since I can remember. I want to learn how to solve the climate crisis, and my whole life revolves around this. In class, I learn about the science and politics of climate change, and through my work with LEAF, I try to get people to listen to me, to understand that not only is climate change a real threat that will destroy our futures, but is already displacing people and destroying environments all around the world. I'm told by adults that I'm so young, I have my whole life ahead of me, that I have all the time in the world. But for people my age, that future is uncertain because of the threats climate disasters pose to our livelihoods. I want to make a difference for our planet, but I also want to see my 30s and maybe have kids someday so that I can see the world and have it not be on fire. This seems simple to me. I'm fighting for my life. My life is worth fighting for. The lives of my generation and the generations to come are worth fighting for. Our planet is worth fighting for. Thanks again to all three of them for participating in that and sharing their thoughts, something for all of us to think about as we look to make our resolutions for the new year. Speaking of the new year, exciting news, our other companion podcast, Growing Forward, which is a collaboration with New Mexico Political Report and KUNM Radio. We are uh, proud to announce we will have a season four coming up a little later this year. Uh, excited to bring that to you. It's been a wild and crazy first three seasons. And again, this podcast dedicated to covering the cannabis industry in New Mexico, especially as it gets off the ground. It's an important time and it's important reporting. We're glad to bring it to you. Our hosts are Andy Lyman of New Mexico Political Report and Megan Kamrick of KUNM Radio, also a correspondent here at New Mexico PBS. I want to give you a taste of our last episode of season three. A grab bag of sorts. One of the things we did was catch up to the new new and first director of the Cannabis Control Division, which was set up under regulation and licensing to run the cannabis program here in New Mexico. Kirsten Thompson is that new director, so you're going to learn a little bit more about her and why she wanted to take on this responsibility. 
as we head towards a fully legal recreational use market by April 1st of this year. So here is a sample from Growing Forward. Several weeks ago, the Cannabis Control Division hired Kristen Thompson as the director of the division. Thompson, a former lobbyist, told us she sought the position after hearing Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham talk about the future of cannabis in New Mexico. I've been working in cannabis policy in multiple states across the West, and it really was listening to the governor speak about the potential for cannabis legalization, her hopes uh, that is a benefit for the land, water, the people of New Mexico really spoke to me to come from a place of excitement and that it was passed through the legislature and not forced upon people by, you know, by a vote of the people. And that this was something she spearheaded. And it really excited me about the potential here. I was ready to uh, move on my career from cannabis. And um, here I am. (laughs) I know we have a lot of listeners who are trying to break into the new industry. And I want to just quickly mention that we did ask about the status of applications when we spoke with Thompson in November. She told us that they are working through applications and that she's confident that they're on track for sales to start no later than April 1st, 2022. As we've covered in previous episodes, there's a growing concern that new producers, meaning those who are not already in the medical cannabis industry, may not have enough time to grow, dry, test, and package their products by April 1st. That, of course, could lead to a cannabis shortage for patients. We have heard uh, over the past few months from some business owners, they're concerned about timelines and getting product in the ground. These are not existing licensees, new licensees, and processed and in stores when retail sales are slated to start April 1st. If they can't get started soon, they're worried about that. Do you anticipate any possible shortages in product when retail sales launch? We are looking at the needs right now and you know we can see what people are planning on growing we understand you know it takes four months to grow a plant under the best circumstances so it's definitely building out from there we don't anticipate shortages at this juncture we see what people are excited about growing and we want to make sure that they have that time and that the labs have the time to get the product tested before the first sale is made so we are that's the time frame from which i started to work backward from in the intensity around making sure that that we get these licenses out. We've heard from plenty of applicants or entrepreneurs that that are sort of facing this. And I think it was Superintendent Trujillo that called it, you know, a merry-go-round, or she referred to it a couple of different ways, uh, where they're sort of caught between local governments and the state government, because those localities do have some leeway in setting their rules and zoning. How can the Cannabis Control Division help with some of these issues to work out? What's allowed, what those municipalities can require of, and then sometimes they get caught in this loop where they're trying to sort of wait on both entities. Sure. We are working with stakeholders, including specific municipalities. We are really working through not having those documents hold up the process. We know that, you know, they have their concerns. We continue to work to address the concerns of the municipalities and provide guidance to all of the applicants on how they can help push their municipality or get the answers that they need to process. But we are not intending to let those missing documents hold up what we do on our end. 
And that was a, a change we all, when, when I came in, that we all agreed to. We want to have a really smooth rollout and there are lessons from everywhere and we're not fooling ourselves, but I am doing everything um, and have such an incredible team. And we've got the support of so many people just in the entire department, not just our division working together to make sure that this is a success in the the view of the governor and what she wants to accomplish, which is, you know, you've heard it multiple times, but economic development and, and some equity for people impacted by the war on drugs, as well as um, traditionally underserved communities and agricultural areas. That's why I'm here is to fulfill that vision that this brings good things to the people of New Mexico and is a benefit to every community where folks are operating. There has been some chatter on social media about what your lobbying ties to at least one company that wants to expand here might mean. Could you talk a bit more about how you will reassure folks in New Mexico that you will not have any conflicts of interest? Absolutely. I severed all ties with any of my former employers or uh, lobby clients, including selling of stock. So as not to have any uh, notion of, of impropriety. It is a value that I have held throughout my career um, that I expected from any regulator, not just in cannabis, but I did food policy and all kinds of other things that I um, hold myself and others to that standard. And that is what you can expect here in my role here. And just like this podcast, you can subscribe to Growing Forward wherever you get your podcasts. We encourage you to go back and listen to any of the previous three seasons if you haven't already and subscribe today so you're ready to go when season four comes out in just a couple of months. Thanks to Andy Lyman and Megan Kamrick for their hard work on that podcast. And that'll do it for this podcast. We hope you will uh, tune back in for our next episode this coming Friday. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Great way to take this content with you each week. And also great because it's not just the content that airs on New Mexico PBS each week, but we bring you plenty of extras as well. In the meantime, follow us and interact with us on any of our social media channels, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. We love to hear from you. We so appreciate your involvement. Thanks as always for staying informed and engaged. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy.